He wants to set us free about tomorrow. He wants to set us free about what your spouse thinks. <laughs> he wants to set you free what the people down the street think. <laughs> but you know what he really wants to set you free from? He wants to set you free from yourself. Because when God, when God sets you free from yourself, you're going to be free. Because when, when you get His mind and start thinking like Him, you're free from yourself. And that's what the cross has given us. The cross has provided that for us. See, this ain't just, this ain't just insanity, although it seems insane. <laughs> it really is the cross. It really is the cross. And you know what the Bible says about the cross? It says it is foolishness to those who do not believe. It says it's foolishness. So if all this seems foolish to you today, you ain't believing right. <laughs> Step over into the grace world. Step over onto the grace path. You hear what I'm saying to you? There is a way of thinking in God that is contrary to what the world says, what the natural mind says. And it does seem kind of, when you think, man, am I going, have I lost it or something here, Lord? But God wants to set you free. Yeah. He really wants to. And, and a lot of it has to do with our own thinking inside there. You know, our heart condemning us. And the Bible says that the Lord will give us a clean conscience. A clean conscience. Anybody got a guilty conscience this morning? Well, I'll tell you something. Jesus will set, give you a, a clean one. He'll wash it. That's what the Hebrew says. Lord, I ask you right now for every conscience in here, these things that tell us we ain't, we're not worthy and we're not good enough and et cetera and so on and so forth, that we would be washed of that. Washed right now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for that grace, that unmerited favor that you are saying to people this morning. Unmerited favor. Grace. Amazing unmerited favor. Grace. Grace, grace unto you. Grace, grace unto you. Grace unto you. Grace unto you. Now, that was a Bible verse, actually. Zerubbabel was looking at the mess to rebuild the temple. I think it's in either Zechariah or Zephaniah. Which one is it, Jim? Where he said, grace, grace unto you. It's in one of those Z, Z books. Zechariah or Zephaniah. But he saw... And the Lord said, What is this mountain before you, O Zerubbabel? And you will come carrying the capstone to the temple, crying, Grace, grace. And what God was saying is, This thing is a mess, but by the grace of God and by the power of, the, of, of God's grace, He will finish what He started. So we can look at our lives, we can look at our nation, we can cry grace to it. We need to do that right now. Stand up and cry grace, whatever situation you're in. If you are in a mess, cry, Grace, Grace, Grace! Somebody lost their job, I think they said to me. You know what you need to say? Grace, grace unto it. Somebody needs a job. Grace, grace unto it. 
Somebody's having difficulty in their marriage this morning. Grace, grace unto it. Somebody don't have a marriage this morning. You need one. And God's saying, say grace, grace unto it. Somebody's having financial troubles this morning. God's saying, grace, grace unto it. Somebody's just having some trouble this morning. Grace, grace unto it. It's the cross. Some, somebody needs healing. Say grace to your healing. Somebody, somebody's children need to be saved this morning. Grace. Say grace to those backslidden kids. See, that's really the message of the cross. It goes everywhere. It doesn't just stop when we get saved. We've got to live that message. We've got to live with that message. Somebody say grace to their, their elderly parents this morning. You got an elderly parents this morning that need grace in their life. Say grace to them. If your parents are old, they start suffering in their body. Say grace to their body. Who? Let's say grace to Judy Tucker. Grace. Somebody needs a spouse. I think I already said that, but let's say it again. You need a spouse this morning? God's got one for you? You need some grace. You're going to get one. Grace! You're going to need more when you get one. For all those who have a spouse, say grace, grace. Grace, grace. All those who want one, grace, grace. For the third time. God wants somebody to get married. <laughs> but I'm not saying who that is. Amen. Lord, thank you for the cross. We really love you, Lord. Thank you that it still helps us today. Thank you that it's real in our life today, God. Thank you it wasn't just something that happened one day in our life and then we went on and was hoping to get to heaven. Lord, we're going to get to heaven. You, you've already made sure that. We're going to bring heaven here, though. You see, when you say grace, that's what you're doing, is you are causing heaven to be released in your life. Yeah. Amen. Kids, you may go. We could spend a year on grace, couldn't we? That's not a bad thing. Grace to the young ones. Grace to the... Teachers, and grace to everybody who's left in here. <laughs> grace to me. Amen, I take it. Grace to the Word. Yeah, we need to know what it says. Isn't that right? We're in a new deal here. We've always wanted to be in this deal, but we've decided we're going to quit believing everything except the Bible. And what, the, what does the Bible say? That's, that's really... I want you to turn to 1 Samuel 16. 
And I want to talk to you, and this is not going to be a long message, I can promise you that. <laughs> but I want to talk to you about something uh, about King David. Okay, everybody knows who's King, who King David was and is. But, um, you know, we've been in Christ School of Ministry using David as the uh, model in our leadership part of it, how David was a leader. I've been really blessed by it. I mean, I've been in, in, sort of immersed in David's life over the past, past three or four months. And I've really, the Lord's really spoken to me a whole lot about David. But one of the things that I, I was just went through and read the book of Acts again, just on a devotional level, and one thing that I've seen in the book of Acts was this. At four major strategic places in the book of Acts, four major places where David, where, where there was a big thing happening, where something major was fixing to happen, guess who appeared in the book of Acts? Anybody want to take a guess? David. Chapter 1, book of Acts. Needing a new apostle to take Jesus' place. Peter stands up. Guess who he quotes? Anybody want to guess? David. Chapter 2, day of Pentecost. God pours out His Spirit. Peter stands up starts preaching. Guess who he quotes? David. Chapter 13. Paul's on his very first missionary journey. He's the first recorded message that Paul made on his first missionary journey. Guess who he quotes and talks about? David. Chapter 15 of Acts. The church is meeting because in chapter 10, Peter went and preached to Gentiles. They got saved. Some people were saying, no, they can't be saved unless they follow the law. And guess who James, the, the, who was the leader of the church at the time, guess what he gets up and who he talks about? David. And I felt like what the Lord was saying to me at crucial moments in our lives, at strategic moments in the church, and at strategic moment in history, God has given us the life of David as somebody and someone we can go to and find counsel, find direction, just like they did in the book of Acts. And that's why he showed up at those crucial moments. So if you find yourself in a tra tragedy, or if you find yourself in need of answers, go to the Psalms that David wrote and read them. Go to the first and second Samuel, which, you know, is, is his life, and read them. And I believe God can speak wisdom to you and speak direction to you about what you need to do. Now, I really believe that. I believe that's why in the book of Acts we have those four key events. And we have David speaking in all those four key events. The apostles were drawing on David to give them counsel, give them advice to know what to do in a strategic moment in the church's life. So I really want to encourage you today, go back and read David. Read First and Second Samuel. Read the Psalms that he wrote and, ask, and allow the Lord to speak to you through David's life. You hear what I'm saying to you? Because he's got something to say today to you. He's got something to say to me today. God wants to use that man in your life. He really wants to use him. He's, it's powerful. But I think the one thing I want to share with you this morning is I want to read the beginning of when David shows up, when, when God first brought him on the scene. And this is pretty normal, I mean, well-read verses in the Bible. It's 1 Samuel 16. Are you all with me? Okay. It says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, chapter 16, verse 1, How long will you mourn for Saul, saying that I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil. 
and go, I am sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Okay. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. But the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice. Jesse was David's daddy. And I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me the one I named to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming. Powerful man. If people were trembling at his coming. And said, You come peaceably. And he said, Peaceably I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So it was when they came that he looked at... Now somebody give me the right pronunciation of that name. Janet. Who? Eliab. Okay. Eliab. And said, Surely the Lord's anointing is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as a man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. If you're looking at outward things today, you're in trouble, because God don't see it that way. You've got to start looking at the heart. So Jesse called Abinadad and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? Then he said, There remains yet the youngest. And there he is, keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose and went to Ramah. There's a lot in that. You know, I'm sure you had heard 43 messages about, you know, how the Lord doesn't look at the heart and, or at the outward, but looks at the heart. And, uh, but I want to um, not do that today. I want to do something different. And in verse 11, it says, uh, when Jesse answered Samuel, he said, There remains yet the youngest. Okay? I want to point out that word youngest. Because that word does not mean what we think it means. Okay, it does not mean just young in age. Okay? If you go back and look up that word, it means this. This is basically what Jesse was saying about David. Well, there's one more, but really, he, he's the lowest of my sons. He's the least likely to succeed. He's really not my favorite. He's really not the best of the bunch. In other words, David's daddy did not hold David in very much esteem. He had a low view of David relative to his brothers. David's daddy thought his brothers were better than, better than him. Okay? Jesse, and even Samuel was willing to settle for the best looking. Okay? So that's how we find David. The first time he really appears in the Scripture, we find his own, listen, his own daddy. You know, if he was living in America today, he would have to go to counseling. You know, because my daddy really didn't care as much about me as he did his bro my brother. You know, my brothers were better. He always treated them better. He thought they were going to be more successful. You know, in the annual, they had this category, the least likely to succeed. 
David was the least likely to succeed as far as his family was concerned, as far as his own daddy was concerned. You hear what I'm saying to you? This was, a, this was not a light thing in David's life. This was a serious thing. This was a serious blow because you know that, that he was, you know, if your daddy thinks something, he's going to treat you that way. He knew he was, he could compare himself to the way his brothers were being treated. I can just imagine David thinking, you know, daddy really loves Shemal really much better than I do because look at it. He didn't even invite me to come when Samuel the prophet, the, you know, the, the man of God came. David's daddy didn't even consider bringing him. He held him in such low esteem. Well, he don't need to be here. What could he add? Why would God want to even speak to this young man? Are you with me? Have I made that point to you? Because this is what I want to talk to you about. Now I want you to jump all the way to the end of Jesse's, of David's life. We're jumping over everything. Everything you've ever heard, we're just going to jump, jump over that and go to the end. And if you have a low opinion of yourself today, God wants to, to set you free. And go to 2 Samuel 23. Okay? God wants to set people free from low opinion of themselves. God wants to set people free of what your daddy or your mama or whoever said something about you that made you feel bad and made you feel little. Okay? He really wants to do that. But there's a secret, I believe, that I don't... You know, that's not really what... Well, I think God really wants to do this. There's a secret in David. Now, Second Samuel 23, verse 1. It says, now these are the last words of David. The last words. Now here's what, when you start reading about David and thinking about him a lot, that's, those are sort of sad words to me. You know, I recently read First and Second Samuel and I got it out. I thought, man, I really hate that. I really hate that that I'm finishing. These are the last words of all, you know, everything that I've been reading and everything I've been enjoying. And now the last... Doesn't that strike you as sort of sad that, you know, here's one of the greatest men to ever walk the earth, and that's what the Bible says? It strikes me like that. In fact, one time I almost cried when I read it. Well, really, they're not his last words, because his words are still speaking. That's what gets, us, get, gets you out of the mess. Uh, here's the last words of the least in his father's house. The least man in his father's house. The man that his daddy didn't even invite him up that day to sacrifice, to be in the meeting with the Lord. Thus says David, thus says David, the son of who? Jesse. Thus says David, the son of Jesse. All right, hold that thought. Just, I just want to read the rest because it's so good. Thus says the man raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, and the, don't you love this, the sweet psalmist of Israel. Isn't that, doesn't that sound cool? The sweet psalmist of Israel. Does that sound good to you this morning? Those are, those are wonderful words. Let those words sink into your heart. Yeah, the sweet psalmist. Yeah, he didn't even call himself a king. He's the man God raised up. That's, that's pretty good. I hadn't thought about it. The Spirit of the Lord spoke by me, and His Word was on my tongue. Now, I, don't, I want just to go back to that one thing. There's so much in that. It really is. That's the truth that Jim just said. It's, he didn't call himself the king. He said he was the sweet psalmist, the one that God raised up. That's what burned in David's heart. Okay? That's good. That's a good revelation. But the son, thus says David, the son of who? The son of the man who had low esteem of me. The son of the man who really didn't care that much about me, I didn't think. Now here's, this is important. Think about it for a minute. Jesse, at the end of his life, 
was not distancing himself from that man, Jesse. Okay? David wasn't saying, well, you know, my dad, you know. David was identifying himself with his daddy. David was identifying himself with a person who basically rejected him on some level and hurt him on some level. And now here's the key. This is what I really want us to see, is David never dishonored his dad. He never dishonored his dad. He honored his daddy all his life. And at the end, even though we have this record of his daddy not even inviting him to this meeting, here's David saying, I'm the son of that man. That man was my daddy. That man was my father, and I honor him as that. I honor my daddy. I honor my father. You see, I believe that's one of the keys that God wants to speak to the church today is because I feel like we are a society and a, and a people who dishonor one another. I really feel that. I feel like we dishonor people at all levels. And I believe one of the learnings from the life of David is this. is David, one of the reasons he was an anointed man, one of the reasons that God chose him, one of the things that God put in his heart was a man who would honor other people. He was a man who would never dishonor his daddy. He was a man who would never speak ill of his daddy, even though his daddy mistreated him, even though his daddy would probably make him have to go get psychological counseling if he lived in America today. You know, and he'd be all messed up and he could go commit crimes and blame it on his daddy like everybody does, you know. He never did it. He never did it. As a matter of fact, you'll see in David's life, I want you to turn to 2 Samuel, go back to 2 Samuel chapter 1. 2 Samuel 1. Now, this is an important message, I really believe, that God's trying to say to people. Because, see, I think we are consumed in our society. Therefore, I think the church is really influenced by a dishonoring attitude. And we dishonor each other. David, listen to this. David, Saul was the king. David was to replace him. Saul hated David's guts and tried over and over and over and over to kill and murder David. And David never did anything to Saul. In fact, when, when Saul was really getting messed up and getting real warped, he called for David, and David went and ministered to him, played his music for him to help him with the evil spirits that were afflicting him. And Saul one time threw a spear at him because he was so afraid and so jealous of David. But David was an innocent man. He was being persecuted. He was being used by a man. And he didn't do anything. I mean, he got anointed king. He didn't try to go be the king. He just, you know what he did after he got anointed king? He went back out and started taking care of the sheep. He didn't presume anything. He waited. If I'm supposed to be the king, God will make me the king. Probably in his mind, well, when Saul dies, I'll become the king. He had no, it was never in his heart to replace Saul, or to usurp Saul. As a matter of fact, there were two times where David could have killed Saul. One in, I think it was 1 Samuel 24 is Saul had to use the bathroom, okay? He had to use the bathroom. That's what the Bible says. So he goes in the cave, and when you use the bathroom, doing what he was doing, you know, he was squatting down, basically, to use the bathroom in the cave. That's, that's what the Bible says. And David was in there, and David's men says, God has, they were ha just so happened to be hiding in this cave that Saul was using the bathroom in. It'd be a bad day, wasn't it? You hiding out, somebody's using the bathroom. You think about it. Well, his men were saying, David, this is what the word of the Lord. They were saying, the prophecy has come true, that you're going to be the king. You can take this man out. So David goes and cuts a corner of his garment off. Okay? He wouldn't kill him. 
He said, there I touched the Lord's anointed. There I touched him. But he cut, just cut off a little piece of his, you know, the cuff on his pants, so to speak. And the Bible says that David's heart condemned him for doing that thing. And he, cried, he got some little distance between him and Saul, and he cried out to Saul and said, you know, you were in there. I'm innocent. I didn't kill you. I could have killed you. And the Bible says Saul wept. He wept and left and went home because he knew that they, he said, you're more righteous than me, David. David could have killed him. There was another time Saul found out David was in a certain place, so he went out there with all his soldiers, all his mighty men, and it was night, and they got sleepy, and they went, this is in Second First Samuel 26, they got sleepy and went to sleep. All of them went to sleep. Saul's bodyguards went to sleep. And Abner, who was a mighty man, in fact, later on, on in, in the history of David, Abner, Joab, David's top guy, killed Abner, and, Jay, and, and David was furious with him with that and had him done in for it later on. That's how much he respected and honored people because he said Abner was a great man. But David sent down one of his men and said, you can't kill him, but go down there and get Saul's spear and get his jug of water because they're asleep. He could have went down there and stabbed him, but David wouldn't let him. And then he did the same thing. He cried out to, he cried out to Abner, Abner, you're a, there's no one like you in Israel, and you have went to sleep and didn't protect your master. And here's the, your master's spear and his water jug, and, you know, you've messed up. And Saul again started weeping and carrying on, saying, you're more righteous, and went back home. See, the guy was demonized. So David never dishonored Saul, even though Saul was trying to get him. You think about somebody who's going to be psychologically ruined, what if the, the king, the president of the United States was after you? What if President Bush decided he was going to go after one of you guys and was chasing you around and be bad? I mean, that's what it's equivalent to, you know, to get the Secret Service after you. Well, at the end of Saul's life, and this is important, at the end of Saul's life, Saul dies in battle, okay? There was this guy who came up and claimed, I mean, I don't think he really did it because the story didn't jive. He claimed... Saul, you know, Saul basically fell on his sword to die, killed himself because he was losing... And so this uh, Amalekite guy claimed, you know, Saul was half dead and half awake, and Saul wanted him to kill him, and so he killed him. So he goes to David and says, you know, I killed Saul. You know, he was half dying, and I did him a favor and killed him. And that's what Second Samuel 1 is about. Are you all with me? And this is what David said in verse 14. I'm not going to read the whole thing just for time's sake. So David said to him, how was it, Second Samuel 1 verse 20, you are not afraid to put forth your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed. That's what David said to this guy. How, how can you weren't afraid to do that? Then David called one of the young men and said to him, Go near and execute him. Go near and execute him. And he struck him so that he died. So David said to him, Your blood is on your own head, for your own mouth has testified against the saying, I have killed the Lord's anointed. You see... You see the thing that was in David's heart? Even another man who went and claimed he killed the Lord's anointed, David had that man executed. He had him executed. Now, I don't know how many of us in this room would do something like that if somebody chased us for years trying to kill us. You know, how, and then when we found somebody killed him, we'd go have that person killed for killing that person who's trying to kill us. See what I'm saying? You see, David was a different stock. David was a different breed. He, there was something in his heart that he believed in that he honored other people. He felt like it was important. Saul's the king, therefore I will honor him. 
Jesse is my daddy, therefore I will honor him. I will not usurp. I will not speak against him. I will honor him. And David, it says, wept. He wept when Saul died. He did not rejoice. He wept over that man because he said that was the Lord's choice. The Lord made that man king, and he wept over it. That is so strange to the American way of thinking. That is so strange to people who go in churches and who call themselves Christians who are Christian. We don't think that way at all. Yet the Bible is full, full of words about honor. Full of it. And we wonder why many times God doesn't move in our churches. It's because we're so dishonoring. We've dishonored each other. We've usurped authority. We've talked against the president. And the Scripture is clear. You hear me? Yeah, I mean, I believe this really is a word for us. Turn over to Ephesians 6. Hang in there. Let me just read this. Ephesians 6. Everybody knows this, but we're reading it anyway. Because we need to hear it. This is, this is powerful. Ephesians 6, 1. Children, if you're children this morning, and I'm going to tell you something, we all children, because we all had a mom and daddy. <laughs> Whether you want to believe it or not, you may have never met the man or woman, but you had a mom and daddy. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Verse 2, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment to promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Okay, here's here's one of the keys. If we just preach and just speak our privilege, our blessing that we have without preaching our responsibility, then we are in, in danger. We're in danger of not responding to the grace of God. Because the grace of God it really is real. You hear what I'm saying to you? We've got to respond to the grace of God practically. One of the ways we respond to the grace of God practically, young, younger people who still live in their families, is you need to honor your family. You need to honor your parents. You need to do what your parents ask you to do because it says this is how you're going to have a long, prosperous life. It doesn't say you'll have a long, prosperous life and, oh, by the way, honor your parents. It says honor your parents, obey your parents. You see, we live in a society where rebellion is rampant against parents, against parents' authority. And I'm going to tell you something. The Lord doesn't like that. It's a sin. And we want the anointed, and we want this, we want that, but we don't go home and do what our parents ask us to do, and we don't respect our parents, and we won't give our parents...